Good morning. My name is Xiao Chang, and I am the editor of the Christian Reform Church's magazine, The Banner. I hope you don't mind that I'm wearing a headset. I just wanted to make sure that you can hear me well. Our passage today is from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to 5. Let me read from the New International Version. Matthew 7, verse 1 to 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The Word of the Lord I'm going to share some slides at this point. Now, as the editor of the banner, I get lots of feedback to my work, and frankly, I often feel judged. There seems to be no shortage of people who think they know how to do my job better than me. But God convicted me that I was also judging my critics. Sometimes I was assuming the worst about them. I even saw myself as morally superior to them. So I realized I had to repent of that and give them the benefit of the doubt. I realized that I was struggling with the sin of judgmentalism. Therefore, I am preaching today on a topic that I need to hear myself. And hopefully, this might also be helpful to you. Now, I do think that judgmentalism is a problem for the church in general. Back in 2007, David Kinnaman, president of the Barna Group, a research think tank, surveyed Americans aged 16 to 29 these are youths, American youths, 16 to 29, about their views on Christianity and the church. Now, here is a percentage of those surveyed who say that Christianity is judgmental. These are the outsiders. 87% of non-Christians think that Christianity is judgmental. 52% of churchgoers. These are regular church-going, active youth in the church think that Christianity is judgmental. Still over 50%. Now you may say this is only perception, far from the reality. Well, I, I do think that there is some truth in this perception, especially when our own active, regular church-going Christian youth thinks the same way. 
The fact is, most non-Christians in our culture believe that Christians are more focused on condemning people than helping people. Could this be telling us we have lost something in the way we articulate and describe God's truths? So let's take a closer look at this problem. Let's start with defining what judgmentalism is. What is judgmentalism? Here is my definition. Judgmentalism is condemning other people's faults while downplaying our own, creating a sense of moral superiority. Let me repeat that. Judgmentalism is condemning other people's faults while downplaying our own faults, creating a sense of moral superiority in us. So judging is focusing on the speck in someone's eye, but ignoring the plank in your own eye. It's playing the, you know, your sin is worse than mine game. Now, let me clarify this definition. First, I need to clarify that judgmentalism should not be confused with discernment. It does not mean that you cannot discern or make what we call judgment calls between good and evil or right and wrong. It doesn't mean you cannot make any kinds of discernment about uh, who is uh, a friend or who is an enemy. That's, you know, that's making judgment calls. That's not judgmentalism. Well, judgmentalism is also not to be confused with accountability. It does not mean that you cannot hold people accountable. If somebody breaks the law, they need to face the consequences. You hold them accountable. That's not being judgmental. That's just holding people accountable to wrongdoing. Thirdly, judgmentalism is not constructive criticism. You shouldn't confuse those two either. It doesn't mean that you can never, ever, you know, offer critique, criticize people in power or, or somebody else. The difference between constructive criticism and judgmentalism is twofold, I think. One is your motivation, right? Constructive criticism is generally trying to help somebody by offering critique to improve them improve their situation or their work. It's, you know, think, think of a coach trying to improve an athlete's performance. So there's the motivation aspect. The second difference is also the how, how you offer critique. Judging people tends to be uh, offering critique harshly or even passive aggressively. But constructive criticism should be gentle, loving, gracious even. Now, if you are on the receiving end of criticism, you often will know the difference if you're being judged or if you are being given constructive criticism. How you feel after receiving it, you tend to know whether it's, that's, that's judgmental. That's just trying to look down on me. That's just trying to nitpick about me. That's just trying to put me down and make me feel bad. Or whether that's, that's something that is really helpful and is going to help me be a better person. You know. So sometimes 
the Bible uses the word judgment for discernment and accountability as well. The Bible doesn't have um, the same kind of baggage for the word judgment as we do today. Um, so judging was more neutral concept in the Bible in, in biblical times. You can have good judging and sinful judging. Um, so I have defined judgmentalism here based on the negative definition, right? The negative view of judgmentalism, sinful judging. Now, we know that judging others is wrong because it hurts people and it destroys relationships. It's contagious. And that's what the verse about you will be judged with the same measure you judge others. That's what I think he's trying to imply. It's contagious. You judge other people and people are going to judge you back. So why do we do it? Well, our sinful fallen nature predisposes us to judge others, right? But I think there are two main ways that our sinful nature makes us judge others. The first one is negativity bias. I get this from modern social psychology. I, I want to say that modern psychology is catching up, <laughs> catching up to Jesus' ancient wisdom. So what is negativity bias? Negative, negativity bias is our tendency to focus more on and be affected more by negative things rather than positive or even neutral things. For example, you, you can go to work uh, and say you've done 10 things well uh, at work, even extremely well, but you make one mistake and the mistake may have some consequences. Now, did you go home that day and then you feel good about the 10 things you did well? Or instead, do you, like most of us probably, do you dwell and keep thinking and feeling bad about the one mistake you made? And if your boss is like any average human being, what do you think your boss will focus on? <laughs> That's our negativity bias. We tend to focus on the negative things. Well, this is one way our sinful nature predisposes us to be judgmental. Now, Jesus said that we will notice the speck in another's eye. Even the smallest flaw, we will magnify it. The speck of sawdust. You'll notice the eye is already a small organ in the body. It's not like Jesus was saying you will notice a scar on somebody's face, you know, that's really obvious or something that is big and obvious. But no, it's a very tiny thing in a tiny organ, a speck in an eye. Imagine that. We are biased to find faults, to find the negatives, even when they are small or tiny. The second way our sinful nature predisposes us to judge is shame. Now pay attention here. This might be a little bit counterintuitive. A professor of social work, Brené Brown, in her book, Daring Greatly, 
explains this. And I'm going to read a quote here, and some of it you will see um, on the screen. What's ironic, or perhaps natural, is that research tells us that we judge people in areas where we are vulnerable to shame, especially picking folks who are doing worse than we are doing. If I feel good about my parenting, for example, I have no interest in judging other people's choices. If I feel good about my own body, I don't go around making fun of other people's weight or appearance. We are hard on each other because we are using each other as a launching pad out of our own perceived shaming deficiency. It's hurtful and ineffective. And if you look at the mean girl culture in middle schools and high schools, it's also contagious. And we have handed this counterfeit survival mechanism down to our children. We are so desperate to get out and stay out of shame that we are constantly serving up the people around us as more deserving prey. Shame predisposes us to want to judge other people. Notice that in our Bible passage, the judging person is noticing the speck in someone's eye while ignoring the plank in their own eye. Now, he was not noticing a thorn in his friend's uh, finger, so to speak, but it was an eye for an eye. The area of flaw in the friend, the eye, is also the exact area where the judging person has a flaw too, the plank in his eye. It's a way for us to not deal with our own sins. If we can deflect and focus on other people's sins, we make ourselves feel better. For example, if we have, say, a hidden sexual sin that we don't feel good about, chances are we might end up being judgmental about other people's sexual sins so that we feel better about ourselves. You see how that works? So how do we stop judging? Well, first, see your own planks. We need to get to know God better, and in the process, we get to see our own faults and sins better. C.S. Lewis, uh, the author of the Narnia Chronicles, he has this image or analogy that has always stuck with me the f ever since I, the first time I read it. Now he says, imagine you were out in the streets in absolute darkness. It's pitch black and, and, and you stumbled and fell into a mud puddle because you can't see where you're going. You, you fell into this mud puddle and so you got up and then you started walking and then you see there's a street lamp in the distance. So you started walking towards the street lamp, towards the light. The closer you draw near to the light, the more you are able to see how actually muddy <laughs> you you are 
from the mud puddle. But when you were in darkness, you couldn't see how muddy you were. It's only when you get closer to the light that you see how muddy you are. So similarly, the analogy is this. The closer we draw near to God, the more we are able to recognize our own sins and how sinful we are. A sign of people who are close to God, who are spiritually close to God, who knows God well, who have a close walk and relationship with God, are people who are humble because they know their sins. They know their own sins. They are very aware of how sinful they are. They know why their sins are, and they know how they're struggling with those sins. And really, they are rarely people who go around pointing at finding faults at others because they're more worried about their own faults. They don't have time to worry about other people's faults. And that's how it is. If you are judgmental, it probably means you have not fully experienced God's grace and mercy to you as a sinner. And you are likely living in shame, in fear of not performing well enough, or not being good enough, not being good enough for God. And you're still trapped in your in this works-based religion rather than a grace-based life. You're trapped in a works-based religion that is really about human pride. And that's why you judge others. So when you draw near to God in personal prayer, make sure you spend time to intentionally and deliberately name and confess your sins. Don't just confess generic sins. Be specific. Name your sins. Confess them to God in prayer. It helps us to practice to recognize the planks in our own eyes. We need to draw near to God. Secondly, we need to be kind. Help people. Don't judge them. Help people. Help them to be more receptive to God's ways through kindness and mercy first. Luke 6 verse 36 says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. In fact, that verse, Luke 6 verse 36, frames the context for the parallel passage in Luke for the judging, do not judge passage. We have we read from Matthew in Luke when you read Luke 6, you'll find that this verse frames it. Just after this is do not judge. So we need to be merciful and forgiving rather than being judgmental. Let me read this one to you, Romans 2, um, the first four verses. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. See the same theme again, right? We judge others based on, often on the flaws that we ourselves have, that we ourselves are struggling with, the shame bit. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, a mere human being, 
pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God's kindness leads to repentance? If we truly believe that, we would be less judgmental. I mean, can we do the same? Can our kindness lead others to repentance? Can our patience, can our tolerance, instead of our judging, lead people to repentance, to change, to follow God's ways? I mean, think about this. How many of us have witnessed somebody become, say, a Christian or become a better Christian because someone else judged them every single day. You know, I thank God for so-and-so for judging me every single day of my, you know, life because that's how I get to know God and get to know God's love and grace or whatever. How many of you hear that kind of testimony? Instead, how many of us know of someone or heard a testimony or heard a story of people becoming Christians being drawn to Christ or even becoming better Christians because other Christians love them in Christ, being kind to them and help them in their time of need. Right? So I don't understand in one sense why we still judge. It doesn't work. If you want to change people, kindness and love and grace changes people far more effectively than judging. Now, I still got to ask this last question. Why is it good that God judges? We know that God's still going to judge everyone on Judgment Day, right? But as our Romans passage suggests, God is a perfect judge. God knows all truth. God knows everyone's heart everyone's motivations and intentions. God is not only perfectly just, He's also perfectly merciful, gracious, and loving. God perfectly merges His justice with His mercy. And we see this on the cross. But most important of all, God judges to save, not to destroy. Psalm 76, verse 8 to 9 says, From heaven you, that is God, pronounced judgment, and the land feared and was quiet when you, O God, rose up to judge, to save all the afflicted in the land. This is why it is not only the death of Jesus on the cross that we re uh, remember and commemorate say on Good Friday, for example, but also the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. God not only punishes sins on the cross, but also gives resurrection life 
from the tomb. His purpose is to save, not merely to judge, to restore life, not simply to punish sins. God is not a punitive God, but a loving God. He judges to save, not to destroy. And because God has already perfectly judged the sins of the world on the cross, we do not need to judge others. Rather, we are just called to be kind, to be merciful, in order to lead others to repentance, to Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace and your righteousness. Forgive us of our tendency to find fault with others, to judge others. Help us to see our own sins, to be humbled before you. And help us to draw near to you. May we be your agents of kindness to the world around us. May we be able to, to draw people nearer to you through our love, grace, and kindness to them. And may we experience your love, your grace, and your kindness to us, drawing us nearer to your heart, so that we can therefore be channels of your love, grace, and kindness. We pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.